This is Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. Our program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. And now, here's today's program. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer. Hello, good to be with you. And this is normally the time of the program where we uh, tell you how you can support Catholic Radio and all the different ways of uh, that you can do that. And we do very much appreciate you doing that because, well, we wouldn't be here uh, if you didn't do that. But right now, we're going to take this time just to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas on behalf of everybody here at Catholic Radio Indy. So Merry Christmas from all of us. Yes, and we've got a great show for you. Um, and, you know, if you haven't done all your Christmas shopping, depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm always a last-minute Christmas shopper. This could come maybe after after the holidays sure. or, you know, depending. Well, this works year-round. This is a gift that's going to keep on giving. Um, our guest today is author and a university lecturer for more than 30 years, with more than 30 years' experience, and here to talk about his new book, A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Baskerville. Thank you so so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I, you are in Romania. Is that where you're at right now? That's correct. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing right now over there. Well, I've taught um, in politics for about thirty years in um, universities, and I've written a number of books on the politics of the family and sexual relations and a number of other topics, but. My most recent ones are on that. But I decided my books were um, kind of, kind of semi-scholarly, and they were, some people find them a little heavy, and they don't always tell people what it is that they can do um, about from the problems that I just described and that I've researched. So I, I decided in this book uh, to write this book in the second person. This is a book that is written for the individual reader, and it uh, tells him, because it's written for men, um, what precisely he can do uh, in his life um, about some of these larger problems, both to, to improve his life, to make his life better, richer, uh, happier, uh, but also so that he can start to be the first uh, the first step in um, making our world, our society, better and helping to overcome some of the problems that we have. And I realize it's a lot to ask of an individual reader, but uh, that's the idea. It's, it's premised on the idea. It's, it's an old genre, the idea of the gentleman's book, and it's, it's an idea of, it goes back to the Renaissance and these, <laughs> But it's the idea that, you know, a, 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 a gentleman follows certain rules, and um, well, we'll get into that. Well, it, it certainly, the book certainly has a rather compelling title, A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. Well, <laughs> who doesn't want to rule the world? Well, that's a, good, that's a very good point. I'm glad you picked up on that, because it is an important thing, and what I try to stress in the book, one of the, the themes is that uh, uh, manners and etiquette and, and being a gentleman is not just a matter of uh, what many people think of as kind of frivolous things like how you dress and how you comport yourself and how you pass the dishes at a dinner party. Um, it's about much more than that. It's always been predicated on the idea uh, of, uh, of that men are rulers. And they might just be rulers of the, um, you know, the domain that God has given them. They might just be rulers of themselves. They might be as far as it goes. Or their dormitory room. Um, but they might be more. They might be more. They might be their family. They might be their local community. They might be their, their church, their workplace, their friends and associates. So it's, it's whatever church God gives you, you are responsible for it. 
And um, the best way to prepare for that is to be a gentleman. I got to ask you, um, it's very difficult to be a man today. Um, how did we get here? <laughs> in about a few, in a few minutes, can you answer how we got to this, I guess, almost the demise of manhood in the United States? Yes, very much so. Very much so. And this is a theme a lot of people have written about this in, in different ways. And I write about it in a little different way than other people do. You're right. Um, masculinity, manhood has been uh, under assault uh, in, in recent years, very strongly so. Some of that is, I think, you know, impersonal forces that are beyond anyone's control. The fact that, you know, the economy has changed. Most of them don't earn their living anymore by manual labor or physical brawn. Um, most, many men don't, don't serve in the military anymore. Um, this, this has had a big role. But um, I think it has to be said that the, the, the single biggest assault on manhood and masculinity has been uh, cultural and even, if you like, ideological. And that has uh, come from, from radical ideologies that have um, political ideologies, sought political changes and, and cultural changes. And, of course, I'm speaking about the sexual ideologies uh, like uh, radical feminism, uh, homosexualism, uh, transgenderism. Um, and and these, um, this is more than just, for example, homosexuality. It's, it's, it's a political movement and it's basically hostile to masculinity. And um, that's the biggest threat. And, and as I say, the book is, is it's a very old genre of trying to instruct men on how to you know, reinforce their masculinity. But in the past, masculinity, the threat to masculinity usually came from other men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came from rivals, you know, the rival in love, the bully on the block, uh, and the remedy was to, you know, go to the gym, take fancy lessons, Charles Atlas courses. Your masculinity was something every man was insecure about, but there was ways to there were ways to improve it. The difference today is that the, the threat comes from this hostile culture, in which makes men even even afraid uh, about um, trying to be men and trying to improve their their manhood. So it's, it's left men uh, in a very um, perplexed condition. So what inspired you to write this book? I, you mentioned that, you know, you wanted to kind of move from sc- a scholarly, um, taking all your, I guess, background and expertise in this area and making it less scholarly, maybe more applicable to the, you know, average Joe, so to speak. Was that your inspiration right. or was there something else that prompted you? Well, that was part of it. I guess in the past I thought that if I just wrote brilliant books and, and pointed out all these horrible evils in the world and did so in the right way, that I would start a you know political movement and there would be reforms and everybody would, would listen to me and, and everything, everyone would live happily ever after. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. So I decided that, you know, the, the best way, really the only way, is to start with the, the individual man. Uh, and because even after all, um, uh, and I, I'm not advocating that men start great political movements and, and you know, create ideologies of their own, become the mirror image of feminists, and complain about their grievances and, and their and their victimhood. Uh, far from it, it's quite the opposite. Um, but I do think that men need to start uh, with themselves, with, you know, the, the, you know, the Emersonian, if you like, uh, ethic of, of self-reliance. And men, after all, can't, you can't go to a welfare agency if you don't make enough money, or you can't, um, you can't even necessarily turn to the police if you need protection. Um, so men have to start with themselves. They can't. Um, they can't expect others to protect them and provide for them. So um, you know, you start there, and gradually, you, you know, you, you work your way out to the other um, bits of responsibility, the domain that, again that God gives you. So it's it's um, 
yeah, I really think that the, the, the answer for men today, and individual men and men as a group, is, is not to uh, rebel in, in the adolescent sense, like like so many other groups do, and not add to the cacophony. It's to assume that they are the natural rulers of society, and to assume that stance, even, if, even when the police are taking you away in handcuffs, even when you're being hauled up before the judge and told that you're, you know, you're uh, a batterer or a molester or something, you still have to, you still have to be a man and you have to be a gentleman, and you can't complain about it because nobody cares. So, what about integrity? Um, how does that fit into it? Because it seems like there's a lack of integrity, kind of just across the board in our culture. Um, how does that fit into being a gentleman, being honest? And having, I guess, principles that you live upon, Christian principles, well, <laughs> ideally, yeah, you know. I, ideally, yeah. No, that's always, that's always been a part of it. That's always been a, an integral part of it. Historically speaking, Christian Christian uh, faith and uh, principles have always been um, very much a part of the mix. Well, um, I mean, the, one, the word I think the used there that I would pick up on was um, honesty, or, or what is traditionally called honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is a very important part of, of being a gentleman. Many people today, um, the, the, the one thing I've had to come up with since the book was published, especially, is people both both um, people on both sides, both uh, you know the feminists and and and, uh, and the and the men's rights groups, um, sometimes think that being a gentleman is to allow um, you know people to walk all over you. And uh, actually, some of the conservatives, some of my some of my colleagues who have written similar books like this and articles and media appearances on, on gentlemanliness, they actually seem to fulfill the stereotype. They sometimes come out with ideas about the gentleman that does make it sound like they're perfectly happy to have people walk all over you. And I point out that it's not like that at all. A gentleman has to stand up for certain certain principles. Um, it's not just the shibboleth, after all. It's not just a code of defending the honor of women. It was defending anyone who was disadvantaged or oppressed or you know harmed victims of injustice in any way. And it doesn't mean just you know joining the, again joining the political movement and, and conjuring up an ideology and, and doing this in an impersonal way. It means defending real individuals um, and defending principles and defending people, um, even if it costs you something in terms of popularity or in terms of danger, physical risk. And um, this is something that men have to accept. They have to accept that they're going to be hated. That they're going to they stand up for principles. They're going to be disliked. They're going to be vilified. Um, and they have to they have to take this and they can't they can't take it lying down. Um, I'm not advocating pistols and bomb, uh, but I, I do think you know a man has to defend himself and those around him, his family, his community, his uh, his associates uh, when they are maliciously attacked. We're talking with Dr. Stephen Baskerville. He is a university lecturer and author of A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. And Jim, you had a question. Well, I, I had a question. You. Um have uh, apparently lived a lot of your life uh, in the university or the academic world, and that world, at least in this country, is known to be extremely liberal, and you're, yet you're uh, espousing a very conservative point of view. How have you been able to, or how comfortable are you in the university environment expressing the views that uh, you're sharing with us? Well, that's a very good question. I'll talk about that for quite a while. Um, well, first of all, when I started out, I very much shared those, those liberal left views. Um, so that's how I was raised. And as, as I entered the university world, I, I, I didn't object to those, um, at least not in principle. 
um, gradually over the course of time, I, I grew up, <laughs> I matured, I, I acquired some sense. And um, I found that I was, uh, you know, I didn't fit in as well as I previously did. I still believe in, in higher education and university ideal, and I, and I speak about in the book as a whole section on education. And I talk about the universities and their problems and, and, and where they're falling short, and how a man needs to remedy whatever the universities throw up at him and question it. But uh, no, I was, I've been thrown out of two academic jobs. Uh, I was thrown out of a liberal uh, institution, and I was thrown out of a conservative institution. And if you know anything about academics, it's pretty hard to lose an academic job. Um, if you do nothing, uh, you can usually keep your job. If you, if you, if you spend all day, um, uh, well, if you, if you teach a few classes every week and then go home, um, you're, you're unlikely to lose your job. The only way you lose your job in the university world is if you say the wrong thing, the politically incorrect thing. And that's what I've been doing for a few years now. So I get I get tossed out of the universities pretty quickly. Um, but now I'm very you know I'm very pleased. I'm working in a, in a new university, a conservative university in Warsaw, and um, the values there I find very congenial. And um, you know, God willing, we're going to continue and, and it'll serve as a model for um, for reforming the, the you know the universities throughout the Western world. We need to take a break. Uh, this is a very interesting interview. Uh, we're going to be talking more with Dr. Stephen Baskerville, A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. So stay tuned for more Faith in Action. I've got the spirit. Hi, this is Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection. Hi, this is Barbara McWiggin, host of The Good Fight here on Catholic Radio Indy. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Ray Garendi, host of The Doctor Is In Here on Catholic Radio Indy. Hi, I'm Al Cresta, and you can join me for Cresta in the Afternoon here on Catholic Radio Indy. The best of EWTN plus great local programming. That's what you get when you support Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget Ayer. Jim Ganley and I are in the studio, and we're, we're talking to our guest. Uh, you are in Romania, right? Romania? That's right. Romania. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Stephen Baskerville, and we're talking about his new book, A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. And um, I want to get into uh, um, who is the book written for? And obviously men. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing many women will be interested in the book, too. Might get it from their husbands or their sons. So our <laughs> listeners out there, you know, the guy might go out, may not go out and buy the book, but the woman's like, I think my husband could use that. Um Talk about um, who you wrote it for in terms of an age group. Is there a certain age group that it's targeting? Well, generally, I suppose more young men than, than, than older men would profit from it. But really, it's, it's uh, any age group. I, I emphasize that, you know, it's never too late to be a gentleman. It's, it's a lifelong endeavor. None of us achieves it as, as, um, as much as we'd like to. We always it's something to strive for. Uh, so even at my age, I'm discovering things all the time that I don't do or shouldn't, and and the opposite, the inverse. So it's it's really written for any man because uh, after all, even men of you know my age, you know older men, um, many of us didn't have the kinds of upbringing, the kind of classical education 
you know, if we grew up in the 60s or 70s, we, we had progressive education and things like, you know, manners, comportment, things like that were often left out of our education. So, um, you know, we have gaps in there that need to be made up, certainly it's for men of any age. And by the way, um, I'll, I'll just mention that uh, most of my hosts, radio interview hosts, have been, uh, have been women, and, and they've all responded uh, very well. I haven't gotten any real hostility from anyone. So I, I think um, you're right. It, it, does, uh, it is something that you know, women appreciate as well. Well, I think um, just as an observation, I've, I was in political science my, myself, and I know your PhD is in, in political science, and I just think that, you know, as a culture, when men do their job, it, it makes it easier for everybody <laughs> to live in a good way, you know. And so I think women really do benefit when men are men. And um, we can get into what, what all that means, but um, that's my observation. That's my two cents. So, yeah, I might be getting a couple copies myself and, and passing those out as, as Christmas gifts, even if it's after the fact. I do want to get into um, you taught, you bring in not, you bring in practical tips but you also bring in larger issues. Could you give some examples of some practical tips that you offer and that as well as some of the larger issues? Right. Well, I, I do go through the, um, you know, the standard uh, uh, advice, the standard categories that you know, books like this have been discussing for centuries. Um, I, I talk about the, you know, dress, uh, comportment, grooming, things like that. I don't give a lot of details on that because they, you can find that on the Internet, but I try to, or, or in other books. But I do try to give men some guidance as to what kind of advice is, is wholesome and sound and, and what is not. Because a lot of the books nowadays that come out are, are very politically correct. Um, they, they want, some of them want to be more like women, uh, and I, I take issue with that very strongly. Um, so it's, it's um, you know, that, that, needs to be, um, that needs to be countered. I kind of stress that. Um, I'm sorry, what was the, the other part of your question? Well, you have practical tips, but then you also, the book oh, also yeah. has m- right. many larger issues that really you're kind of addressing those as well. Right, yes, and I try to do that. I try to show how these, you know, what seems like to many like petty things, like how, how you dress or how you comport yourself is, is connected with larger principles. Just to give you an idea, uh, I point out that um, clothing uh, the more uh, informal clothing has become, becomes, the more, uh, first of all, it's two things. It's adolescent. It blurs the distinction between um, adults and children. Uh, and this is not, um, you know, in anybody's interest, I don't think, to have adults uh, walking around, um, you know, dressing like children and encouraged to act like children. The other thing it does is overly informal attire. It blurs the distinction between men and women. And the more our dress becomes formal, the more distinctive it becomes uh, for each, specifically for each sex. That's a good and point. I think that's also in the interest in the interest of both men and women. Uh, it, 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 it demonstrates that men there's something distinctive about men as well as as well as about women. Um, I also point out, for example, that a man's attire is oftentimes uh, something of a uniform. Uh, men's men's uh, dress, especially if it becomes more formal, uh, is not uh, individual. Men have very little leeway as to what they can wear in a business setting, for example, unlike women, uh, because it's a, it's a, it is something that a man's dress has always been something of a, a uniform, and a uniform, of course, um, it, and that expresses an acceptance of responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, like like a, any other any other kind of uniform does. So uh, you know, when men wear the gray or the dark blue suit, um, he's saying basically, I have responsibilities specifically as a man, 
And I, I accept those responsibilities. And people, so it's more than just the, you know, the cliche about showing respect to other people or uh, that sort of thing. Or, you know, um, that's important. But there are, there are practical uh, aspects to these things which um, we are losing, and mm-hmm. we lose them at our peril. Now, we're talking to Dr. Stephen Baskerville, author of A Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. That sounds like a book that's um, kind of instructing men what to do right, what to do correctly. Uh, what are some of the most common things that men are doing incorrectly that need correcting? <laughs> Based on the book. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's a good point, um, because oftentimes men do things that are incorrectly, and yet they're, they're scolded for it um, by um, both, both feminists and conservatives, sometimes I think for the wrong reasons. And they're scolded for it in ways that are encouraged them to be more like, uh, again, to be more like women than to, to really be men. Um, well, one example I, I, give, I give, which I think is, is an important one, um, you know, traditionally a gentleman was expected to be generous. Uh, you know, in the old days of the, of the English gentry and the aristocracy, a gentleman was expected to give to good causes, uh, and the most important cause that he could give to was the poor. And he was expected to, you know, to, to, to take care of the, the families on his estate, if you like, the tenants on his, his domain. And he was expected to give generously to the poor. Oftentimes, men, gentlemen, would found charitable foundations, and they would, their wives would be put in charge of it. And I, I suggest that the decline of this, and I, I think this is documented by historians very clearly, the decline of this ideal um, has, uh, an, uh, you know, it's a number of forces went into this, but the decline of this philanthropy and this charitable giving has come alongside the rise of the welfare state. Mm. And the welfare state has created all kinds of horrors. It has, it's, um, of course, it's, it's created ghettos, criminality, and fatherlessness, and uh, it creates, it creates poverty. It creates, uh, it perpetuates poverty, and it creates more of it. And um, the wives that were, um, you know, were running the charitable foundations created by the gentlemen and, and helping the poor uh, out of the goodness of their, of their usually their Christian hearts, quite sincerely. Um, those women have now become social workers, and they're, you know, they, they go through uh, universities and they major in uh, women's studies or gender studies, and they, uh, you know, they, they espouse hatred of men, and they separate the men from their families, and, they, you know, the, the, the children and the women become poor. So, you know, these, again, these, these quaint old traditions of, you know, gentlemanliness, when they decline, and I'm not, I'm not saying it was false, it was um, too much, so a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But there are very practical consequences as a result of this that can be very harmful. Absolutely. Um, what did you learn, I guess, in writing this book? I mean, I'm sure it was a, a completely different type of book than, than what you're used to writing as an, as an academia or academic. Um, what was it like for you? What did you learn? Well, I learned a lot because I, I went back through the centuries and I read the classic books on this stuff and the um, Castiglione and Machiavelli onwards and Thomas uh, Thomas L. in England and, and the 19th and 20th century books that were written in, both in England and America. And I learned a lot about the history of the idea of the settlement. And, um, yeah, I constantly came across things that, you know, that I myself was doing and it was wrong. Um, just to give you an example, one of the traditional rules that I kind of discovered was that in, 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 in polite conversation, uh, two subjects that you should not never discuss are religion and politics. <laughs> and um, those are two of my favorite subjects. I, Me I too. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I, I didn't understand why I should why I shouldn't discuss them. And, and you know, I, I came to realize that you know, if you're people people you trust, and you can discuss them on a deep level as matters of conviction and belief and principle, then then that's one thing. 
But if it's a matter of just espousing opinion, when it's people you don't know very well, you've just met them at a, at a dinner party or whatever, you don't know them well, um, and you start, or they start, espousing opinions, uh, and which can be changed, which are not deep, not deep and not fixed and, and, and can be altered, you know, at a moment's whim, basically on the level of bumper stickers, then, then it's, it's a prescription for, um, well, superficiality or for, or for unpleasant quarrels. So I realized that uh, both of those subjects, religion and politics, are subjects on which you need to have deep and, and firm and fixed convictions. But um, they're not things on which you, you need to espouse your, um, you know, your, your momentary opinions to everyone within earshot. And it's a good prescription for just you know, for turning into a bore. <laughs> I'm curious, and we don't have a lot of time to get into this, um, but I want to, before we get to the end of the show, um, go ahead and uh, let people know where they can get a copy of the book. Okay, well, you can get it on my website, which is stephenbaskerville.com, Stephen with a PH, or the Sophia Institute um, Press website. I uh, don't have it offhand, but it's, it's available there, or of course on, on Amazon. Don't go to Barnes and Noble, the page is a mess. I don't know why they can't get it right. Um, but um, Amazon or Sophia Institute Press or, or my website. So, uh, what. What are you hoping that people who, men or women who read this, <laughs> what do you hope that they take away from the book? I hope that, well, I thought more about the men than the women, I think. Um, one thing, the men, I think the men have more leverage than they realize. They're not, there's a lot of injustices against men today, especially fathers. Um, and in some ways, they really are genuine victims, and, and in some cases, genuine oppression. If you look at the divorce courts, but there's more. But they can't. They can't fall into that. They cannot fall into victims. And they can't rebel like adolescents. And I, uh, they, they, they have to. I, I said this at the very end of the book. You, you cannot um, put away your adolescent rebellion. Um, you know, the time for that was adolescence. Uh, you, you've got to grow up and be a man. And. Um, I think that's you know that's that's one of the big lessons, and then you start to rule, then you start to be the you know the natural ruler, one of the natural rulers of society, and I think men have more. There's too many men that are going the wrong way. The, the MGTOW, I address the MGTOW phenomenon, the men going their own way. Um, basically, they're they're engaged in a strike against women, against marriage, against sex, against uh, children, uh, reproduction, uh, and I think that that's a, that's I understand where they're coming from. They're they're right in many ways, but it's it's not what God intended for them, and it's not a constructive way to live your life. And you, you do have more leverage than you realize, and the way to acquire that is to, you know, is to adopt this code of behavior, um, to, to always take the moral high ground, to always be a gentleman, no matter what other people do to you. Really interesting. I can't wait to read the whole book. Um, do you go out and speak by chance? Just curious. Do I speak? I, I do speak a, a lot at conferences, usually more on academic and political subjects than on this, on this one. So I, if I speak about this, it's usually on, on um, talk shows like this one. Well, it's been uh, very interesting chatting with you. Our guest today has been Dr. Stephen Baskerville, author of Gentleman's Guide to Manners, Sex, and Ruling the World. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Faith in Action. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Faith in Action the program that looks at how everyday people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. This program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. If you have suggestions for topics or guests for this program, contact Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org.
or call us at 317-870-8400.